Thank you, Orion. Yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff happening. We'll keep shouting those dates at you. Um, this is going to be a great year. And um, I should probably publicly apologize to Connor and Orion. They, uh, they had some people waiting for them for that Bible Project class today. And um, it was uh, all of Nathan's fault. Nathan Black was over thinking it was today, but it wasn't today. I was like, those guys left you. What are Connor and Orion doing with their lives? But it's really Nathan. He missed the date. So, my bad, Connor. Orion, you got, you got that going. Next week, it'll be great. Yeah, my bad. We, um, you know, I've been at Focus Camp this weekend for a little bit, and it, it's going great. It, it is a blessing. I want you to know it, uh, it's cool for, for those students. A, a lot of you know it, but they got, you know, several hundred students devoted to God, worshiping together. It's, it's a lot of fun. And they grow, they bring a lot of momentum out of that. And it blesses our church in a lot of ways. And so be mindful of them. Uh, do be praying for those roads as they look about sending people home early tomorrow night or the usual plan for, for Monday afternoon. But it's going well. It's a cool time for our church, even though we miss them this morning. But it's great. So I'm going to be preaching for just a little bit here. We um, are still kind of waiting for our new series. We're going to kick off a new series next Sunday um, on a bunch of real practical Christian living topics where we try to focus on a lot of specific practical steps on how to better follow Christ. And so today we just got a a little bit of a one-off. They said I could do whatever I want. And... Usually I'm better with more direction. Um, But with just one week here, you know, and as I was thinking um, about what to preach on, you know, I decided I wanted to share something with you simply that that I find meaningful and, and that inspires me in different ways. And today that thing is a song. And so I'm going to share a song with you and I'm going to lean on some of its lyrics to uh, to to preach a bit today. And so it may be a little unusual. There's plenty of scripture in all of this. It's a very cool song written by a Christian artist that is riffing on, on all sorts of scripture. And it's really about God's character and, and how good he is. It's about um, what to do in the midst of suffering, what to do when, when we don't get the answers we want, but how to, how to trust and have faith and grow in perseverance regardless and in our faith. Uh, it's called The Road, the Rocks, and the Weeds. Um, the artist is John Mark McMillan. You are allowed, if you want, to look up those lyrics on your phone. But that's all you're allowed to do on your phone. Um, I am going to make you listen to it here, here in a couple minutes. All three and a half minutes of it. And so some of us, maybe some of the men more, that think this is a terrible idea. I'm going to need you to just come out of your you know, overly masculine selves and enjoy a song for a minute and try to tap into just the creative side of your brain. And, and you know, I think Pico said it well. And I, Pico, I love having you here today also. That was great. Um, but just, you know, you could take a more analytical approach and read these lyrics if you want without enjoying the genre or the music that's allowed. Um, but it, it's got a really cool message, and it's just one of my favorites. And so I'm taking the time to be a bit selfish today, and hopefully it's inspired me, and I, and I want it to inspire you. 
uh, to the end of a strong faith that is resilient and perseveres even in the midst of the most troubling of times. So, um, I think that's about all of it in, well, maybe just a little bit for, for recap. So, you may notice that title, The Road, the Rocks, and the Weeds, is, is riffing on the parable of the sower, a very famous parable of Jesus. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It gets a lot of airtime around here. Actually, my small group was in it this Thursday. I think it sort of reminded me of the song a bit. Um, that parable, just for a short recap, Jesus talks about uh, a sower spreading seed and spreading over four different types of soil, a path, a, a rocky, shallow soil, a soil with thorns, and finally a good soil. And we talk about that often and think real correctly, like, what type of soil am I? How can I be good soil for the Word of God? How can I continue to, to garden and, and um, you know, prune the weeds out of my life that, that chokes the Word of God from being fruitful? And um, all of that is is legit and, and within that parable. But here, uh, the, the artist takes a different approach. And actually, this is a quote from him. He says, The road, the rocks, and the weeds are all considered bad soil in the parable. Uh, but he wants us to focus on this aspect of the story. Jesus spread himself out even on the bad soil, not just the good soil. And it's that aspect of a Savior who has come down from his high place and, and, you know, it's Philippians 2. It's what Clay read with communion. He's made himself nothing for our sake. And not even or just that, but suffered in the most gruesome way you can suffer for, for your behalf. And so he spread himself on the road, the rocks, and the weeds, even those bad soils. And you'll see the very end is a call for us to do the same. But we're going to listen to a song together. And then I'll have some more words to say. Well, first, you're welcome for an introduction to such a great song. No. Um, you know, many of you know, but if you don't, I, uh, I, I love music, and I often get into songs like this. I'm, I'm one of the worship leaders that'll be through rotation here. I love listening to music, playing music. I, uh, it's easy for me to, to latch on to a, a little lyric or song and, and take inspiration from it. And so that, that's a lot of where, where some of this is coming from. But... Uh, I just want to pull a few things out of here. You know, this is a song about the character of God, uh, about the realities of pain and suffering, and how in that God does two things. Uh, One, he does allow us to suffer. We've talked about that before and the reasons why. But it's not just that. He suffers with us and, and meets us in our suffering. And in many ways, he has suffered far more than you or I have. And so it's about longing for answers, even when we don't get them, and, and ultimately faith in the midst of all of that, because we see that that is the heart of our Maker, that He would spread Himself on the road, the rocks, and the weeds. I like how uh, the verse, each verse kind of starts highlighting just the miracle of um, you know, God coming and, and becoming a man. You know, it says, come down from the stars and show your human scars. You know, he took on becoming human and took on those scars on our behalf. Um, You know, the second one, again, come down from your mountain, your high-rise apartment. Tell me of the God you know who bleeds. 
And you may have noticed, uh, you know, there's several references to sort of Greek gods, other lower, lower G gods, but a lot of comparison here. Ours is the only God who bleeds and bleeds for us. And um, he's the only one that exemplifies that dramatic sacrifice and that extreme form of love for us. I want to read again. Clay read it. Philippians 2 is another song that, that calls us out. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He is completely unique among any other god or ideology or anything that that would demand or, or ask for your worship. You know, he, the songwriter, calls out to this where he says, I'm saying goodbye to Olympus. Olympus, the, the Greek pantheon of, of gods. Um, because the heart of my maker, again, spread out on the road, the rocks, the weeds. He says, Aphrodite would not weep. Zeus would not suffer for the weak. But have you come to stand inside my pain? The answer is, is yes. God will stand inside our pain. And he already has, right? He's been there before us, and he will be there with you again. Um, Obviously, we still struggle with pain and suffering. That's probably the most duh point I'll make here. It is hard. But the thing about the character of God, um, in those moments, it's about what you believe about your God and, and how you respond to this adversity. You know, is, is your God distant and angry and, and far from you and just waiting to, to pour out his wrath? Or in these moments, is he right beside you, suffering with you? When you face struggles, what you believe about God matters. And Scripture, in my estimation, shows he's right there with you having already suffered, and suffering again because of your own suffering. And so, do you run away from these moments, angry that he would allow this or that? Or do you turn to him and run to him and accept his comfort as a fellow sufferer? This is, is crucial. Some of you like know that answer because you've had these moments. And, and you know a, a track record for yourself. And you can see some of both. Or, or times here, times there. Others of us, um, you know, have had it a bit easier so far, perhaps. But either way, um, this, these are decisions you, you make now in, in the midst of, of good times. How are you going to respond when, when the storm comes to your life? You know, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Hebrews 5, 8 is a, is a verse. I, uh, I don't know how to deal with this one. He says about Jesus, Son, though he was... He learned obedience from what he suffered. 
You know, I love that, that part of the song because it reminds me that, that God is near, that he knows my experience, that he knows my pain, and that that is the heart of my God and my maker. But I, I certainly find myself still wanting a, a whole lot of answers at times. And um, that's okay. You know, the, the song, a couple times again, spread in the two verses, he'll, he'll say, well, I've got no answers for heartbreaks or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with me. Later, um, he says, you know, what to tell my daughter when she asks so many questions and I fail to fill her heaviness with peace because I've got no answers for hurt knees or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with me. You know, there is just a reality that, that we often find that the specific why or the specific what's going on just isn't given to us. And that'll happen, but I want to say that doesn't mean you shouldn't beg God for answers. And I'll give you just a little personal anecdote here. I mean, that line about his daughter, like, I can relate. I have a very anxious daughter. You've heard me talk about her before. Uh, I've got an anxious wife, too, but I guess I'll talk about my daughter. Um, Madison, often right before bed, you know, she can, she dreams up all sorts of worries, and whether it's, you know, school or, you know, something with friends or, or who knows what. Like, she's got a, a creative mind, and sometimes it points to anxiety. But it, it's just true. Nothing I say when I'm saying, like, the good night at bedtime fixes a thing. Uh, sometimes, like, I got it. Like, I say something good, and she's like, oh, wow. And I'm like, I'm the best dad ever. Um, <laughs> like, I did it. She's not worried in, in this moment. Um, but it is, it's just one of those things she's going to have to learn. You know, we all have to learn how to deal with our anxieties, but there are times where I've got no answers for her question. Um, but I can say this, I could say, look, but we've got a savior who suffers with us. Jesus is, is right there by your side and my side. And the big picture, don't worry stuff that can sound almost rude sometimes, it's still true. Like, the final result is good. And we can always go back there and, and try to pull some strength from it. It doesn't fix the here and now every time, but it's always true. And so, I really like this. It, you know, it's just that sing-songy, little bit of rhythm and rhyme. I've got no answers for heartbreaks or cancers, but I have a Savior who suffers them with me. And, and I like bringing that back to memory and remembering these verses from Hebrews and elsewhere that describe just that and how God is the God of comfort. You know, the, uh, the cancer you know, point is always poignant and prevalent. We've had plenty of that throughout our body. Um, that's one we almost all of us can relate to. My father-in-law has bladder cancer at the moment. Um, and as that thing goes, it's pretty minor. Um, you know, caught it real soon. But we can get to this point and, you know, I can find myself like, God, what is going on in this world? Like, how is this still okay? He, um, you know, some form, I'm not a doctor. I don't have all the info, but his cancer treatment 
is actually an old tuberculosis, tuberculosis vaccine, which is interesting. We find out new things all the time. And apparently it's pretty effective. But that fell out of favor with pharmaceutical companies because it doesn't make money. And there's a shortage of it in our country. And so there's thousands of people with bladder cancer that don't get a full dose of the treatment. And so, you know, they say this treatment is proving unsuccessful anyway, but that's just questions. Okay, it's unsuccessful. You never gave him a full dose. Like, what, are, what am I supposed to do with that? But, so he's going on. The oncologists, they're going to figure the next form of treatment out. And this is just one example of, like, a whole world of suffering and heartache and oppression. And my little, you know, drop-in-a-bucket experience of it, you look across the globe, it can be overshadowed by a million terrible things. And so, you know, the, the critic that asks how an all-powerful and all-good God can allow such suffering, you know, finds a little bit of, of credence, though they're missing lots of stuff there. We have answers to all of that. But, you know, I, I can find myself going there. God, you're in control. What is, what's up? Um, I need some answers. And so, Scripture deals with all of this. There's purposes and suffering. Um, you know, we know big picture answers about free will and what that gives us and what that allows. And the, the final destination of all of this is good for us. Um, but I want to tell you one of the purposes of suffering is simply to know God. God wants relationship with us. He wants honest, genuine relating from you. He wants your whole self. There's a, a long history throughout our Bible of lamenters and, and questioners that God honors. And we can find ourselves sometimes in a real bad habit of thinking it's more faithful to avoid those questions and not take our doubts or our anger or our struggle to God. And I want to tell you what he sees is only dishonesty. He knows what you're thinking. He knows how you feel. You insult him by not taking it to him. You, you fail to, to f- fulfill the relationship he wants with you when you try to stuff that down and not relate with your Savior. You know, you can think about Abraham, um, various stories, but one of the earliest ones is when God and a couple angels visit him, and they're on their way to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they give him some insight into God's plans to deal with just some disgusting sin going on. And Abraham is, is very concerned. He's, his family lot is down there, and he's like, whoa, 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 God, this isn't you. You, you, you're compassionate and graceful. Like, surely you wouldn't destroy this city if there were, you know, 50 righteous people there. And you, you know the story. They, they go back and forth, and each way, Abraham stair-steps it down, you know, um, all the way down to, to 10 or 5, and um, he stops short of one, interestingly. And I think the, the scripture... Is at, tells us to ask why he stopped at one, because God would have kept going with Abraham. But you see this interesting line where 
these three men, one is God and a couple are angels, are having a conversation about what they're going to do. Abraham is following them. And very clearly, God is telling his crew what he's going to do so that Abraham can hear him. God is inviting Abraham into this conversation and into this discussion. He wants to hear from Abraham. He wants to relate with him. He was absolutely pleased that Abraham challenged him on his plans and, and changed his plans to save Lot and his family. Moses, um, if you go the whole Mount Sinai story in, in Exodus... Um, you know the deal. Like there, there's lots going on. We're getting tablets of Ten Commandments. Um, Moses is up on the mountain for forty days and forty nights, and um, the people under Aaron's tutelage—not me, but a different Aaron—just um, go crazy. And and scholars will say it's akin to cheating on the honeymoon. They had just married God. They had just signed the covenant. They said yes to everything. Moses disappears, and they're, they're building that golden calf, and, and they're back on um, doing the things God told them not to do. And so it's this scene. Moses is going down, and God's like, I know what's happening, and, and God is angry. And, and God tells Moses to leave his presence so that he could kill all of them and start over with Moses. Uh, God tells Moses this. And so, you know the story. Moses did not leave so God could do that. Moses said, hold up. God, this is not you. You, you are compassionate and gracious. You, you saved us from Egypt. You said you, we were going to be your people. You can't destroy your people. You just told the whole world we're your people. Your name is going to you know, fall in disrepute if you do this. This isn't your character. And it's, again, it's one of those weird verses that says, God relented. Some translations say repented. Um, and he's like, you're right, Moses. We won't do that. And, again, the, the Hebrew scriptures, this meditation literature. Uh, it's an Eastern form of writing that is encouraging you to meditate and think through what's happening here. It's not a Western security tape video coverage just telling you all the points. It's a story. It's an invitation into how God relates to people. And when you play this out, you see, you know, there's all these theological, did God change his mind? And, and all these streams of Christianity, no, God is unchangeable. He never changes his mind. Um, and, we, and we just beat the drum on these theological points, that, but we miss the fact that what God wanted there was a conversation with Moses, a wrestling with Moses, a relating to his people to figure out with us what is best. And um, it's interesting. So if God changed his mind, it's only changed to stay true to his own character. His character is one of grace and mercy that triumphs over justice and saving his people. It would have been out of his character to, to smite them. So he, he changed his mind to stay within his character. And I'm already rambling too much. But he wanted this conversation with Moses. You could go on, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, some of these prophets get very disrespectful with God. And God just leans in. And and they have this relationship that apparently God enjoys and, and what he's after. Um one more here that I, I do want to sort of focus in on a little bit. The story of Job. Again, this is one we're familiar with. 
It, it is a story of suffering. Um, Job had it all going on and apparently was righteous with it too. All sorts of wealth and big family and just all good. Nothing to blame. You get this heavenly scene of God and his divine counsel, these angelic or these divine beings with God. And he's like, you know, it's a staff meeting. God's like, what's going on? What do you think about this? And, and the accuser shows up and he says, um, yeah, Job, he only follows you because you've given him everything. Like you take that away, he's going he's gonna to curse your name. And God's like, try it out. And so, interesting for a lot of reasons, but this behind the scenes why all this suffering comes down on Job is to, to prove out whether or not this human who is faithful will, will remain faithful in suffering. And so you get 42 chapters of, um, you know, terrible things coming on Job, his friends showing up, accusing Job for sins he didn't commit. Job, in the midst of all this, you know, remaining faithful, vacillating some back and forth, but begging God for answers, like calling God out. Like, God, you, I demand a response. Um, and the, the, the beauty, beautiful thing is that God does show up, and he does respond. Um, he shows up, and it's, it's unexpected, I'll say, God's response. Because he doesn't give Job a single direct answer. Job never gets told what happened in that divine throne room. And he was never told specifically why he had to suffer in this moment. Um, but he learned something far more important than any specific reason for his unique situation. And that's this. He, he met God. He encountered a God completely in control of all things and completely devoted to Job's ultimate and final good. And, and in the end, that was way more than enough for Job. Um, I'm doing 42 chapters in like two minutes here. But... <laughs> There's a, a verse in Job chapter 42 where he has heard, like, God's response is long. It just doesn't answer his question. It's a tour of the cosmos and what he's created and how he's in control of everything and all these awesome creatures that he's made. And it's like, Job, I can, I've got it, man. But Job, so he finally gets it. But this line in Job 42, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And it's this turning point in Job's life where his faith grew and his relationship with God grew. And it moves from, I know about God, I've heard about God, I've given him my faith, to a now I have experienced God. And that experience, that relationship with God is better and more sustaining than any specific answer Job could have received. And I want to challenge you. That, that's the same. Like he, God wants you to run to him in any and every situation. He wants to hear from you um, on your good days and your bad days. He wants your confession of your most grievous sins. He, he wants to hear when you're upset, when you're angry, when you feel like it's his fault, 
when you, when you want some answers. He, he wants to hear from you. The worst mistake we can make, even in some like righteous mode, is to stuff it down and say, no, God, you get my praise and only my praise. Like there's, there's, there's good stuff there, but it, it's not the full stuff. And it's incomplete, and ultimately, it's just dishonest. So, your ears have heard of God. You know, but how, how recently have your eyes seen God? When's the last time you've really related with God in here? I'll read you one little quote um, about Job. This is from a, a commentary. It's the Faith Life Study Bible. But it says, Job's... Uh, repentance differs from what his friends implored him to do. Uh, Job's friends encouraged him to repent of sin, but God never accuses Job of committing any sin. Uh, Job's repentance occurs in response to God's character. Job acknowledges that knowledge alone of God is insufficient and that only relationship with him counts. Through his journey of despair, Job gains a relationship with God. And once he realizes that, he repents from his demand for vindication. Job makes a statement of faith about God's sovereignty and God's superiority, similar to his initial response in chapter 1. But this time, Job's response shows the purpose of suffering, that is to know God. And so, if nothing else, you know, I would encourage you to, in any present suffering... To, to run immediately to God and to see that at least some of the purpose behind what you're going through is to grow your relationship with Him. He wants your attention. He wants your relating. He wants your honesty. He likes us to talk with Him, even lament, even anger, negotiating, interceding, interacting with your whole person. Doubt is part of believing. You can't hide it from Him anyway. So take it to them. The important thing is to do it in faith and in trust and keeping in mind that big picture promise that we know all things are going to work out for those who believe. Um, so I'll leave you with this. You know, that, that song has, has one little verse at the end. And, you know, it's a response to, you know, understanding this, this aspect of God's character. And so... He asks a real interesting question. Shall I plant sequoias and revel in the soil of a crop I know I'll never live to reap? Sequoias are awesome, cool trees, Northern California and Oregon. Um, The Return of the Jedi, this should be part of your stuff. The, The forest moon of Endor, that famous Star Wars movie, all those trees, those are sequoias. And those are still out there in California. They're hundreds of years old. Um, and, and 250 feet high, you can you know, drive a car through the, these trunks. They're, just, they're, they're very cool trees. Um, and so the question, shall I plant these and revel in a soil of a crop I know I'll never live to reap? They only grow about one foot a year. And so you plant a tree like this, you will never get to enjoy that tree. But that's, that's part of what we're up to. Because so, his, his, he asks this question, and then he decides, yeah, so my body to my maker, my heart unto my Savior, spread me on the road, the rocks, and the weeds. That even, you know, this kingdom of God's is bigger than every one of us. 
Um, he wants you and that that honest relationship. He wants you to dream big, and he wants you to plant things that you may not get to see grow or get to enjoy the fruit of. He wants you to, to, to dedicate to things like our little church here and build things that only our kids and grandkids will enjoy. And he wants us to do this in light of the immense comfort and, and loving relationship that he has for us. And so what I take from all this is that I want to be one who can persevere. I want to be one who can remain faithful in the hardest of situations. And I want to decide to do that now, even before I hit some of the future storms, so that when it comes, I'm ready to go to my maker and, and, and he alone. So let's end it here. Uh, I hope you're blessed by this. Um, I hope you have a great week. You know, we're going to do it again next Sunday. It's going to be good. Um, God, bless us. Fill us again with your spirit. Give us um, just a responsibility and, and ownership for your body here. And may we be doing things that, that glorify you and build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.